Where are U.S. banking institutions on their roads to EMV migration? In the second part of a two-part interview with Stephanie Foucault and Mike Urban of Fiserv, Foucault and Urban discuss the impact virtual currencies could have on the U.S.'s EMV debit migration, as well as the ongoing challenges U.S. card issuers and processors will face from a fraud and liability shift perspective over the next several years. Hi, I'm Tracy Kitten with Information Security Media Group. One area that hasn't been talked about a lot is how EMV could perhaps impact virtual currencies. Do either of you think that virtual currencies could play a role here in the migration toward EMV in the U.S.? It really depends, I think, and, and of course this is a very new area. There's a lot of interest and excitement around it, particularly Bitcoin, as well as a lot of regulatory scrutiny that, that's coming around. I think it really depends on what an institution's sort of virtual currency strategy is. How do they enable their clients to access those currencies through the financial institution? Uh, and there are some institutions who are experimenting with that a little bit. I don't see how the card product, which is driven by a financial institution, how there's going to be any real immediate impact of virtual currencies into that. Uh, It'll be interesting to see how it plays out and to see how institutions enable their clients to leverage virtual currencies and even which virtual currencies they'll bring in. But it's interesting because you know, the virtual currency really has a value of its own, and so that value needs to be translated, if you will, or settled almost like a foreign exchange transaction in order to really understand what the value is at that moment that the transaction and the value moves. Yeah, and I agree, because it'll be interesting as unregulated as virtual currencies are and as regulated as the financial institutions are, how will the regulators allow the financial institution to use those virtual currencies. I mean, it is, it's very new and it's very interesting to see how this progresses. Stephanie, do you foresee any challenges when it comes to the debit processing perspective if virtual currencies were perhaps to play a role here? Um, again, to Mike's earlier point, it can be challenging because I don't see how we can really process that as a domestic transaction because the value changes, it's not set, it would significantly impact how we settle and where are we going to find what the value of that currency was at the time the transaction took place, who's going to send that information. You know, right now for some of the other, you know, international transactions, you know, we know that we can get the value from the network and they send that information to us on what the value of to the dollar was at the time that transaction took place. So I would see the same type of process for the virtual currency. How do we identify it? What is the value? Um, how do we settle it? I think it's going to have a significant impact to the debit processing. So let's talk a little bit about the role that processors play when it comes to this migration toward EMV. What role do you see processors overall playing when it comes to helping financial institutions? So we already have a project timeline built, and we have a migration kit that we will work with our financial institutions for the migration. Pfizer will go ahead and certify with the network that we can process EMV transactions, and then we will assist our financial institutions in opening a project with the networks 
to have a stop their migration plan. We'll work with the card vendors to help them order the new cards, and we'll also work with the networks in getting all the appropriate paperwork completed with the networks for the financial institutions to start offering the EMB cards. So from our perspective, once the financial institution is ready, we will help them put their plan together and then we'll help them project manage and be the liaison between the card vendor and the network. And ultimately, you know, Fiserv offers all of the services that a financial institution needs in order to, to manage and, and run a financial institution. So from our perspective, you know, we take a very holistic view and how it impacts different parts of the financial institution as opposed to an organization that may be solely focused on card transaction processing. When it comes to liability shift dates, Visa and MasterCard obviously have issued some dates, but how are they pressing card issuers and retailers where some of these liability shifts are concerned, or are they pressing them at all? So right now, the liability shift dates have been established, and and really what, the, what that means is whatever entity is EMV compliant at the point of those dates, then if there is fraud or a chargeback or some kind of a dispute, the non-compliant entity would be responsible for that. If both parties are not EMV, then the same dispute rules, chargeback rules that they apply today would follow. And the same with if both entities are EMV compliant, then they'd be the same rules as exist today would follow. So what that really means if the merchant is that the terminal where a transaction takes place is EMB compliant and the card holder does not have an EMB capable card and they report fraud or a dispute, the issuer would be responsible for those losses. Visa and MasterCard are not pushing either one because they say, well, you know what, if you have removed yourself from the liability, then you will go ahead and go EMB. So they're not pushing either issuer or merchant right now anyways on meeting those dates until they start making it a mandate instead of a liability shift. I'm not sure we're going to see swift changes. The estimate today is that it's going to cost the U.S. market $21 billion to convert to EMV, and who's going to fund that? So until it becomes a mandate, no one's jumping on that bandwagon too fast. It will be interesting to see, as the liability shift comes in, which institutions and which retailers will start to make business decisions about fraud losses and how that will adjust their investment strategies in the technology. So I think some of that remains to be seen, and it will be interesting to see how the liability shift what types of drivers actually come out of that for adoption by specific organizations. Another driving factor to that is going to be how the fraud itself increases and where that fraud is occurring. I think it's going to help drive those decisions. What about the liability shift for independent deployers? These are ATM deployers. If that independent ATM is not EMB compliant, you know, and I go up to that terminal and I use my debit card and I am, then the network that that ATM is tied to, the liability for that transaction on that ATM would shift to them. 
all the networks, regardless if it's attached to a bank or not, it's a network and it still has certain rules that all those networks have to follow in order to accept a Visa or a MasterCard or, you know, for that matter, discovering cards as well. And then before we close, Stephanie and Mike, are there any final thoughts you'd like to share with our audience? It's a very interesting topic here in the U.S. market. I often get asked why has it taken the U.S. so long to even consider a EMB program. If you look at a lot of these other countries that have been EMB for quite some time, they didn't have the infrastructure that the U.S. market has had. So a lot of their transactions were offline. They were looking up, you know, in those big, thick books, looking up card numbers to see if the card was good. So they really had a need for a chip program, an EMB program, because their fraud was so high. Here in the U.S., because of the infrastructure that, that we have, and most of our transactions have been real-time, with a real-time authorization for so long, there hasn't been that driving force for us to go EMB. What's driving that need now is we're beginning to see some of the fraud shift to the U.S. that we haven't seen in the past, an increase in certain types of fraud, because all the bordering countries now, you know, Canada, Mexico, are EMB. So now the U.S. has become a target. So that's why the time is now for the U.S. to go EMB. And then because a lot of the U.S. cardholders travel internationally, a lot of the terminals over in Europe and some of those countries only handle chip cards, so they can't use their cards when they travel internationally. So that's been another driver for the U.S. to offer some kind of EMB card for those people that travel and even some of the soldiers who are overseas and the places where they're deployed only accept chip cards. So that's what some of, you know, why it's taken us so long and what is driving that decision today. It's certainly taken a while for us to get here. I guess we're pushing 10 years from the time that some of the more major rollouts started to take place around the world, and we truly are getting squeezed in with Mexico and Canada now going chip and the criminals starting to target the U.S. more with compromised card information, even though we may not lose money directly from a U.S. institution standpoint. It certainly does impact those other institutions and uh, it does tend to focus that type of criminal activity here. It's going to be very interesting to see how the trends are going to emerge and change and really interesting to see how the fraud is going to morph and how institutions are going to have to react to the changes in the fraud landscape. I think that we're going to continue to learn more and more about this, but I don't really see that there's a way that we can escape moving to this newer technology. Stephanie and Mike, I'd like to thank both of you again for your time today. Thank you, Tracy. And thank you, Mike, for uh, an interesting conversation. Yeah, thank you both so much. Again, we've just heard from Stephanie Foucault and Mike Urban of Fiserv. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.